0: Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. My name is Eric Nemchak alongside Stephen Trinkwald. As always, we are continuing with our 2022 WNBA free agency coverage. Uh, Stephen, things have died down uh, quite a bit, um, but there are still a few big moves we need to talk about and then some uh, lesser moves, training camp contracts to discuss as well.
1: Yeah, training camp contracts, not as uh, maybe exciting on the surface, but definitely some players that I think can make a real difference for their teams here. But let's start with... uh... Your Chicago Sky and a couple of reported agreements that we do not quite have the full terms of yet. Uh, The first being uh, the point guard, Courtney Vandersloot, returning on a one year deal, as well as the Sky reportedly bringing in Emma Misaman, which is maybe the most, you know, in a vacuum, the most surprising deal of the offseason. I know we had both, I think, said with uh, confidence that if if Misaman was going to play anywhere, it was probably going to be in Washington and. Um, that's not the case.
0: No, that was not the case at all. Uh, I think maybe a few eyebrows were, were, were raised when, uh, this guy announced they were hiring Ann Bowders as an assistant coach. And of course, James Wade, given his, his overseas connections, I think that's always a factor as well, but yeah, um, really big move for this guy. Uh, we're still waiting to see, you know, the contract details and how everything's going to shake out with Courtney Vanersloot and Ellie Quigley. Um, but this is, this is quite a move. For Chicago, I think considering they lost Stephanie Dolson in free agency and not sure how else they would have replaced her or replaced a player with her role in the front court. Um, But Emma Mieseman provides some of the the same things that Dolson
1: does and some of the things that Dolson doesn't. So, yeah. How how do you compare kind of their two skill sets, uh, what Mieseman does well and what Dolson does well? Because I do think, you know, Mieseman is a better player in in a vacuum, but, you know, they're going to be missing some things from what Dolson was providing.
0: I definitely agree. Um, Dolson is probably one of the best screeners, one of the best screening bigs
1: in the WNBA. Particularly off the ball, I would say.
0: Yes, yes. So I think a little bit of that, you know, a lot of what Dolson does off the ball is it unlocks stuff for other players. So while she's not playmaking in the traditional sense, she is still maximizing other players, particularly shooters like Allie Quigley, like you always like to say. Um, Whereas Meesemann, I think, is more of a play finisher uh, an elite play finisher, I would say. Not so much as, you know, when we talk about play finishers in this context, it's more of taking a pass and and, and finishing it from anywhere on the court, whether it be a jump shot, whether it be at the rim, whether it be in the paint. Um, you know, she can shoot, she can shoot it from anywhere. I think she's, um, she's just got a smoothness to her game that Dolson does not. Both are good passers. I think Dolson is a little bit better of a passer, but Misaman no slouch there either. Um, I think you're kind of exchanging, like I said, play finishing for playmaking even though Dolson isn't a playmaker in the traditional sense. Like I said, she still does unlock some of that from her unlock some of her teammates skills. Whereas Misaman is going to basically uh, finish plays more often for this guy.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, how, what do you see as like Misaman's role on this team? Is she going to be kind of like shoot in as their fifth uh, player in, in closing lineups? Do you still see that as kind of Azra Stevens slot to lose come playoff time? Cause Stevens was really important to them, especially in the playoffs, you know, her, what she was able to provide to them defensively, um, you know, the sky don't win in the playoffs without, you know, the way that she played defensively, whether it was her one on one defense in the post against the MVP Jonquil Jones, or, you know, her defense in more of a help capacity with Bree Turner on the floor in the finals. So obviously, this will definitely help kind of the Azra Stevens maintenance program, you know, Stevens didn't play 30 minutes in the regular season at all and and had several 30-minute playoff games. Um, but, you know, is, is Stevens going to be kind of um, minimized a little bit more in, in those high-leverage moments, you think?
0: Could be. But I think that was also out of necessity uh, last season where you just weren't getting a lot of off. There, w- there weren't really many other options, uh, particularly going up against uh, players like Brittany Griner and Jocko Jones. You're, first of all, you're, you're completely right. I don't think the sky go as far as they did without Stevens' defense. But you're also right in that Stevens was on a minutes restriction. Um, Wade was open about that. And you can see in the game log, I mean, she's, I, I hate to say it, but I think Stevens is just like a 24 to 26 minute per game player now anyway, based on the injury history and, and the quote unquote maintenance program, as you said. Um, so I don't really know if Miesemann, I, I think a lot of it's going to be situational. Um, Miesemann certainly brings a skill set that Ezra Stevens does not. But then again, I think the inverse is also true, where Stevens provides that defense that Miseman maybe won't be able to. Um, So closing lineups, I think it's going to be situational. I'm wondering if the Sky would go to maybe a bigger lineup. You know, you saw Washington do that in 2019, but a lot of that is because they had Elena Deladon and the Sky do not have Elena Deladon. Well, a lot of that
1: was because they also had Latoya Sanders, who could guard the other team's point guard. There's no big like that on this Sky team.
0: Right, right, right. So it, it would be it'd be an interesting fit there. Um I don't know. I, I think both of them are gonna be kind of in the, the twenty four to twenty eight minute range, whereas closing lineups is just situational. Obviously Miesaman is more of an offensive leaning player, whereas Stevens provides that defense, so I think it's gonna depend on who this guy are playing.
1: Yeah, and I do look forward to the sky's two uh new Belgian players anchoring the second unit. Um this offense, whether it's 2020 and before really struggling with Courtney Vandersloot off the floor or 2021 really struggling with Allie Quigley off the floor, you know, there are now kind of lineup compositions, uh, you know, we're still not really sure what the wing will look like necessarily, but uh, the path to like workable offense in the second units should not be as difficult as in years past. They, they should be pretty good, actually.
0: Particularly because there's going to be so much shooting out there. Um, maybe, you know, maybe if Vandersloot's not on the floor or or, and Parker's not on the floor, of course, we both hated when uh, the Sky did that last season. Um, there's just, there just wasn't much driving and efficient offense. I think now with both Almond and Mieseman in the fold, you're going to at least have a a, a enough play finishing to where you can maybe mask some lack of playmaking. But I think Almond is a good enough playmaker. You know, so much of what happened in Indiana with her in 2020 was just being on a lousy team. Whereas I think in Chicago, I think she's going to be A lot more comfortable. And some of those really weird and and really poor um, metrics that Element put up in 2020, we're going to regress in a positive manner.
1: Yeah. And there are some some poor metrics as we talked about last uh, last week, but there's a lot of encouraging stuff as well in terms of her passing and her three-point shooting shooting and and everything like that. So um, obviously this is a lot better situation from a talent perspective and from a coaching perspective, in my opinion. So an already promising rookie season for Aleman, uh in and, and a lot more talent this way. Um is there anything really to add on the the VanderSloot side of it? I mean, she's been such a, a franchise cornerstone. I guess kind of the more interesting angle of this is like what the what the sky would have looked like if she decided not to play this season or if she went somewhere else. I I don't really have too much to add in terms of you know what she brings to the sky because we've been seeing it for the past decade.
0: Yeah, I think that's obvious enough. Um, you know, re- regarding the uh, the offer that she supposedly got the wildly disrespectful offer. I think this was I think it's pretty clear now that that was just uh that was just a leverage tactic from her agent because if you will notice this the same people the same organization in ESPN which reported that she got the disrespectful offer also reported of her resigning. So I think you could probably read in between the lines there. But uh back on back for the on court stuff, it's it's going to be more of the same. You know, I, I still believe she's the best point guard in the world and I'm really looking forward to watching her play with Emma Misaman you know, cause playing with Stephanie Dolson, you know, you had a little bit of that stretch five potential, but Miesemann is just such a talented scorer and you can do so many things with her, you know, in, in uh, in screening action and just with off-ball action in general. I think she has a great feel for the game in moving without the basketball. And I'm not sure when the last time Misaman played with a point guard of, uh, Woods caliber was. So yeah, really looking forward to the combination and, uh, I'm kind of wondering if, if uh, Vanuyslund and Almond are going to share the court as well. Because, you know, I think Almond has the outside shooting ability to um, to put up some some uh, good numbers at the two. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I would. I, I think, you know, you're asking a lot of your front court players defensively, probably, in those alignments. Uh, and I did also just want to mention that the last time we saw Misamin on kind of a, a full roster in 2019, you know, she was one of the elite pick and pop players that we've seen uh, in this league, you know, right behind Elena Deladon in terms of best in the league. So her strengths should, you know, vibe really well with what Courtney Vandersloot is able to do.
0: You know, regarding the backcourt defense, I'm, I'm aware that's, that's probably going to be an issue, but would it be any worse than a Courtney Vandersloot Ellie Quigley backcourt defense? You know?
1: Yeah, no, probably not. You're right. Um, okay. But you want to move on to this guy's other, uh, you know, lower profile signing that I'm still pretty excited about.
0: Yeah. I'm excited about it too. Uh, Crystal Bradford. I uh, really low key, great acquisition, in my opinion, signed for just above the vet minimum. Um, but as a and this is a recurring theme for Chicago, I think, as a uh, player who's had two or fewer years of experience in the league, she still gets the um, what was her contract, like 62,000 or something like that?
1: Yeah, it was just above, you know, what would be considered a training camp contract. So still lower than, you know, the, the veterans minimum, um, but a very, very bargain deal for a player of Crystal Bradford's caliber.
0: What makes you like this move?
1: Her versatility is definitely one thing. You know, we saw her play multiple positions for the Dream. I think that she, for the Dream last year, excelled a little bit more as a four than a three. But with everything that the Sky have, I think her playing small forward and the Sky's real lack of depth at, you know, the kind of backup wing positions at this point. Um, You know, Bradford, she's... I don't know if she's quite kind of like, quote-unquote, three and d But if she shoots the way she did last year, you know, you have the numbers in here, 42% three-point attempt rate. So almost half of her shot's coming from behind the line. And she hit them at almost 36%. And, you know, it's not like she's just kind of... um, you know, lacks any ball skills outside of the three-point shooting, she can attack a closeout as well and and finish pretty well with the left hand. So her defensive playmaking, I think, you know, we saw some of those kind of hyper-aggressive lineups at times with her and Monique Billings out there really kind of causing havoc for opposing guards. I don't know how aggressively, you know, the sky defense is going to play, but Bradford, I'm sure is going to be able to, you know, really increase their defensive playmaking and still not kind of kill them on the offensive end. Um, You know, should help in transition as well. She's a pretty athletic player. So uh, yeah, all around, you know, both sides of the floor and and they really need wing depth and Crystal Bradford, you know, should definitely provide that. Uh, Maybe, you know, if she was overall like more productive and, you know, just a kind of more I don't know, you know, workable player in, in kind of those playoff series than Diamond to Shields gave them in the last two seasons, you know, I, I wouldn't really be that surprised because she kind of just fits what they need her to do a little bit better.
0: It's about the fit, and I'm glad you brought that up, because if you're looking at the Sky off season thus far, of course, you don't have contract details of Miesemann and Vandersloot yet, and we still, um, we're assuming LA Quigley will, will resign, but there's been no announcement about that yet. But if you're assuming that Vandersloot and Quigley will resign and brought Copper back, And essentially replacing Dolson and DeShields with Miesemann and Bradford, that's a heck of an offseason, Steven. And looking at DeShields' weaknesses over the past couple seasons, what she may have regressed in or uh, not necessarily regressed, but didn't really improve in, Bradford does address address a few of those things, um, particularly the outside shooting. She was a somewhat high-usage player in limited minutes in Atlanta, but... I think the role can can still be somewhat the same you know uh basketball reference actually had her leading the wnba in steal rate 3.2 percent um and she also barely turned it over of course as we always say it's hard to turn it over when you always shoot it but regardless um i I think the fit is 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 really good there because she's like you said another play finisher she can shoot the corner three she can attack a closeout get out in transition and uh if not play I'm not sure about her on ball defense, but she can at least make some plays out there defensively. And we saw aggressive defense was part of the reason why the sky won a title. So as a fan, I'm very pleased with this signing. I'm very pleased with how the offseason came together.
1: Yeah, and she she can work pretty well with pretty much any combination of players that that the Sky wanna play. You know, she can play next to a Kalea Copper. If Copper's, you know, sliding down to the two, she can play next to Ally Quigley. Obviously Quigley is gonna bring her own element of gravity and that makes up for you know Bradford maybe being a, a little bit unproven of a shooter you know with prena, you know only one season kind of under her belt as a productive WNBA player but yeah I love this one I, I as soon as this was announced I thought it was a home run and I think she's going to be pretty impactful player for the Sky this season
0: can I say something real quick yeah please let's go back to the contract here I think this is great GMing by James Wade um because you looked at how how are they going to be able to afford van der and quigley and copper you kind of figured they'd have to do a little bit of maneuvering there choosing julie alamond or trading uh, for julie alamond in exchange for this year's first run pick saves him about what eight thousand bradford at the zero to two veteran minimum contract for about sixty thousand sixty two thousand so there is a little bit of room to work there you know james Wade did what he had to do um say okay you know we we can't offer you we can't offer you the whole thing that like we can't offer you the entire world Vandersloot, even though you might deserve it um but they did what they had to do they got productive players who you know aren't just aren't just sitting at the bench for the sake of, of of eating up a cheap contract spot you know i'm really excited about this i think the sky are going to shoot a lot of threes this season
1: and i was just going to say you know this was only really able to happen obviously because of bradford's um You know, Atlanta deciding to move on because of what happened with Bradford and and Courtney Williams. And, you know, an unrestricted free agent is typically not available for this low of a a salary. And it's too bad for Bradford after such a great season that, you know, this is kind of how it played out. But, you know, one more good season uh, and becoming an unrestricted free agent again next year. And I'm sure she'll see uh, quite a a pay increase. But um, let's move on to the other Sky training camp contracts. Who else do they bring in for, for camp?
0: They brought in Kamaya Smalls, Kaiser Gondrzyk, and Rebecca Garner all on training camp contracts. I think there was a little bit of confusion the other day as to what a training camp contract actually is. Um, our good friend Richard Cohen, a WNBA alien over at Her Hoop Stats, basically says one year unguaranteed contract at the applicable minimum is a training camp contract. So which each of these players having zero to two years of WNBA experience, they're all going to be at the minimum of about $60,000.
1: And the nice thing about a training camp contract for the team is that you know you you can kind of go over the cap. They don't count towards your cap number uh, until the start of the season. So if you have like Crystal Bradford is not a training camp contract because she's just a couple thousand over the minimum, so she is counting towards their salary cap now. Whereas these players, you know, you can sign a few more of them and and kind of make have them compete for that last spot when you're sort of. Gonna be missing some bodies as WNBA camps always are, right? With uh with always late arrivals. Uh, any of these really jump out to you in terms of you know players that fit in well with this, you know the rest of the roster, or really kind of have any chance of, of making the team? I guess.
0: You know I think I like Smalls as a player the most, just because she's another uh, uh, good shooter at the wing position. I do think Gondrizik will have the upper hand though, because she's the most adept at playing point guard out of these players. As you as you were saying, um, bodies are going to be uh, hard to come by in training camp because of late arrivals. With the season starting in mid May uh, in twenty twenty two, Julie Allmond is probably going to be a late arrival because that's the, the uh, French season. She's playing in France. It goes into May, so I think it's a good idea just right now to have a, an idea of who potential replacements are going to be, and that's basically what I think this this flurry of movement is. You know, Wade identified players who, you know, one he he might want to have in camp, and two. Once again, looking at the contracts who, if he had to take one of these players into the regular season, would be able to fit under the cap, right? And each of these players would be able to. So I think, uh, you know, I see some people on Twitter calling Gundrazic a low-risk, high-reward move. I'm not sure exactly how high the reward is going to be. But when you're signing a point guard like this, I think continuity is a very important thing to consider. When you're signing like a backup point guard who may be, you know, things happen in the middle of the season, as we saw with this guy last year. Hopefully nothing that crazy is going to happen again this season. But when you're signing a point guard in particular, I think you want someone who is going to have, you're going to have give as much experience as possible in training camp or in camps or something like that, individual workouts, stuff like that. Give them as much time to uh, establish chemistry with their teammates, learn the playbook, everything you need a good point guard to do. So if something happens in the regular season and you need to, you know, suspend a contract or if a roster spot opens up and you need to bring in another warm body, that player is not going to come in empty handed. You know, the New York are just going to be throwing him in the deep end basically. So that's what I think this this year of activity is going to be. You know, I am not sure if if Gundersik is WNBA, WNBA material yet. If you're if you're going to be poaching um if you're going to be poaching wave players, there's probably better teams to do it for, than uh, the Indiana Fever, but um it is what it is.
1: All right, let, let's move on. I think we're good with uh, our sky things here. Um let's move on to Jordan Canada signing a one-year $98,000 protected contract with the Los Angeles Sparks. Do you like the fit of Jordan Canada playing for this roster?
0: Well, if you look at how the Sparks played last year defensively, I think it's a great fit. Um, I think she can play the Taya Cooper role that they had Cooper playing last season, except just be better at it, you know, as far as on-ball defense and, and creating uh, transition offense opportunities. The, the, the one-year $98,000 for a restricted free agent, that is pretty interesting, though.
1: Yeah, I I think there was not a lot of suitors. Obviously, for I think some people expected Jordan Canada's you know market to be a little bit more robust. I think Jordan Canada was probably you know with the signing of Breon January in Seattle. It, I think it was clear that unless it was going to be for the qualifying offer like that, that era of her her career has had come to an end. I agree. Um, you know, I think it was just about beating maybe like the the ninety one k or so that Phoenix could have offered if they wanted to bring in Jordan Canada and I don't really see too many other opportunities really for Canada out there but she certainly you know makes sense for them defensively I I definitely hope they're not bringing her in to be a starter you know whether it be start alongside Kennedy Carter or start instead of Kennedy Carter I I think that would be a mistake would you agree with that
0: absolutely I don't like that fit at all
1: um but you know as like a, a Backup point card. And, and this is kind of like the whole construction of this roster at this point. It, they're completely stacked with one-way players. You know, they got some really good defensive players and some really good offensive players. And Nekagumake essentially as the the player that you can kind of rely on to be, you know, the one player that I think you're confident will be like a positive contributor on both ends. And some other players that maybe could be and maybe could not be. You know, Sykes could have a down offensive season. Uh, Liz Cambage could have a down defensive season, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I wonder if they they can throw together, you know, some nice offensive lineups with like Carter and Tolliver, Samuelson, Liz Cambage, if, if that ends up working out, Neko Goumike, and then they can throw out some really good defensive lineups with Cooper and Canada and Sykes and Sinead Goumike. I mean, do you? I guess do you th- see this signing as meaning, you know, maybe Taya Cooper is not going to make the team this year?
0: That's a good question. Um, I think they're I think they're pretty invested in T.A. Cooper, or as invested in a third-year player as, as you can be. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't see her really fit. Cause like I said, I think Canada's just going to fill the same role she did, but better.
1: Yeah, she's certainly uh, a better passer. I mean, I think Cooper is uh, perhaps a, a bit of an underrated defensive player. She's, she's really, really solid on that end. But Cooper was also one of like the least efficient, high-usage players in the league, Last season, um, yeah, that
0: really shocked me when you looked
1: at the numbers. Yeah, yeah. To, I, I did not expect Taya Cooper to be at twenty four percent usage, but she was and under fifty percent true shooting. So, yeah, I mean, this is, I guess, a worthwhile flyer, but as long as they don't kind of overextend their expectations of, of Jordan Kennedy, because I do think, you know, she's a player with obvious flaws that have been well documented, uh, and I just think Kennedy Carter is a a higher you know, you talk about high high reward lottery tickets with Kaiser Gondrizik. Like that's what they're hoping for with Kennedy Carter, and I certainly right, think right, right. the upside there is a lot higher than you'll get with Jordan Canada.
0: Definitely agreed with that. Um, Canada, she—I mean, she is what she is. She's a, a player with very, uh, very obvious strengths, very obvious weaknesses, and has been for for several years. You know, we haven't seen much change on on either front. Um, now, you had you, you did have a question here about uh, who on this team could be positive contributors on both ends of the floor uh, besides Naka Gumake. I think if, if, if they do end up signing Liz Cambage, I think she could be a positive contributor on both ends. Um, you know, she, she does have her weaknesses defensively, but I think if you look back at, like, the 2019 season, where she was pretty pretty good. She, she was good. Very yeah, good. she was good. She was good. Um, I think she, a, as long as she's able to stay on the floor for however many minutes and at least deter paint and rim attempts, I think that's passable, especially if you're playing, you know, with an athletic perimeter defender in Sykes. And just a do-all defender next to her and Neko Gumake, um, then you won't be taxing Cambage to do that much on the defensive end of the floor. And we already know she's a total beast on offense. So, um, but besides that, not seeing many.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I agree with me, I guess. Uh, and Cambage <laughs> could, you know, I I like some seasons of of Kambej defensively, but like if Liz Cambage had a season where she was not a positive contributor defensively, like that wouldn't surprise you either, right? Right, right, right. But anything else on, on Jordan Canada, you know, not, not too much here. I think we all know who kind of Jordan Canada is as a player. Yeah,
0: yeah. We all know who she is. I, I'm interested to see the fit. I'm interested to see how they're going to work, make it work. Um, and for, for the rest of this, Roger, I don't think Canada is going to move the needle in any in either direction, though. It's going to be their returning players and, uh, yeah. The, the health players.
1: of the health of Tolliver, for sure, yes, as kind yes. of their one, you know, dead-eye shooter who actually, you know, puts the fear into defenses, you know, with, with an right. open shot or kind right, of, right right. And, and Tolliver, you know, is a good fit next to Carter and a good fit next to Canada, you can at least say. So as a three-guard lineup, I think you could do a, you could do worse.
0: Yeah, you could do worse for sure.
1: Let's move on to Minnesota, where uh, Leisure Clarendon uh, agreed to a one-year deal with the Minnesota Lynx, $90,000 unprotected. You know, for me, this this was a shockingly low deal. I know, you know, Minnesota has a lot to kind of uh, figure out and, and wiggle around with their cap space, but... I mean we just talked about Jordan Canada making $98,000 and Laser Clarendon making 90. Like Laser Clarendon is better than a lot of players I'll say that that received more money and a protected contract in this offseason.
0: Yeah, and, and last season I think was um a very good example of what a good point guard can can do for a team, can how how a good point guard can elevate everyone else on the team. You know, you don't really think of Clarendon as as a typical um high usage, you know, high distribution, like high distribution player. But I mean, the Lynx are obviously clearly much, much better uh, after acquiring Leisha Clarendon than before. And um, I agree with you. I mean, I think they earned, uh, they would have earned more money elsewhere. But, you know, you you saw what he posted on social media. Like they they loved the experience in Minnesota last season. They're very clearly um, free to do what they excelled at, particularly on the offensive end. Um, Cheryl Reeve obviously made it clear that she wanted Laser Clarendon back in a Lynx uniform and um they made it work.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad because I think this team probably would have been screwed without Laser Clarendon, quite yeah, frankly. Yeah, yeah. Um but Clarendon had a great year, you know, fifty 50- three percent two-point shooting on 11 twos per 36 minutes for a guard like that is extremely impressive like not a lot of guards are going to put, put up that type of number and you know what I, you're probably right maybe he was just willing to take less with the addition of angel McCautree and all the things that this team kind of has to to figure out you know from a, a cap space perspective so you know good on on leisure for finding a, a team that they're comfortable with and and good for the links for being able to, to bring back their point guard because you know leisure clarendon as has been well documented, was a huge reason this team turned it around last season after just a dreadful start to the season. So, we can move on with uh, the links here with Rachel Bannum signing a one-year uh, training camp contract, um, and you know now this team is is almost certainly going to carry eleven players, and if Collier is going to play, you know you are pretty much choosing between three of Rachel Banham, Bridget Carlton. Crystal Dangerfield, Renaya Davis, Jessica Shepard, and then two pretty good picks, like the number eight pick and the first pick in the second round. So a lot of accomplished players that have, you know, been in this system for a few years now are, you know, probably not going to make this roster or, I, I mean, we named five players for three spots and then two picks. So even if, you know, both of those picks are, are draft and stash, someone is, uh, you know, probably not making this team.
0: Yeah. Who, who would you rather have? i'm minnesota because i you look at some of these players and you know Shepard is on the cheaper contract but i think carlton is a better player in fact I'm, I'm i'm very sure that carlton is a better player uh banham i'm not exactly like i would if i was a lynx fan i'd like to have another shooter in the backcourt but banham i you know she just hasn't been able to stay on the floor um, unless absolutely needed dangerfield i think she clearly fell out of favor with reeve last season which is part of what what made Clarendon uh so indispensable but I think just as another ball handler, like you saw what happened with the Lynx last season when they couldn't put a, a natural point guard out there on the floor. I don't think that's, that's something that Cheryl Reeve is going to want to do again. Um, if, if she can avoid it. Uh, but then regarding the picks, th- this is why I brought up the, the Natalie Achama contract last time. Like, is is it possible they, they pick one of those picks just to get rid of Natalie Chamo's contract? Or is that moment just passed?
1: I mean, maybe it's, it's still out there. Uh, you know, the the opportunities are certainly waning you know I think Atlanta is probably the only one that could really make that happen without a coordinating move you know maybe right. they trade one of their seconds for number eight and Natalie Achanwa and, and you know maybe Kia Vaughn gets released or, or something like that um, you know if I was Atlanta I would be very interested in in doing that and if I was Minnesota I I probably would as well, honestly, you know, depending on what you think of the number eight pick, but then you're also still going to have 13 and another second round, you know, second round lottery, you know, that one of the top four in the second round picks there. So um, in terms of the actual construction of the roster, you know, Carlton for me is is kind of a must ban Amazingly enough, had the the best on off numbers on the team last year, but oh, that's I, weird. I do think there's you know probably a little bit of noise there. Uh, but you know there was you know that game against the Liberty that Benham you know had you know kind of won for them uh, down the stretch or not down the stretch but kind of uh, I guess in the middle of the second half uh, just absolutely cooking Rebecca Allen you know possession after possession and and you know made it uh, an, an easy win for Minnesota, but I. You know, obviously, Raniah Davis. It's tough there. If you can kind of figure something out with the number eight pick, whether it be trading it or, or a player you feel comfortable stashing, you know, I, I think I would have to go with Carlton Dangerfield and Davis. It, it's so hard to kind of, you know, release a first round pick after they get injured their rookie season and then having never played play, a game yeah. for you. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that would that would be uh, poor optics. Um, but I mean, I think. If it's something they have to do, then it's it is something they have to do. I, I think it's it's been clear for the Lynx this, this season, this offseason, that they're going for it. I mean, you could say that about a few teams, of course, but um, the Lynx have not been uh, shy about basically setting those assets on fire in the past. And this being Sylvia Fowles' last go-around, eh, I don't well, know. Well, Eric,
1: let me ask you a question. They they drafted Davis number seven last year. Do you think the number eight pick this year will be a player you like better than Renia Davis? Mm,
0: that's a good question. I mean, I I think this 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 year's class is stronger than last year's class, but at the same time, if you're looking at that at that position, that um, that spot in the draft, I don't know if whoever they they would draft at that position any would anyway would would get any minutes.
1: And, well, Davis you know? was. I mean, this draft is allegedly better, but you know, Davis was considered almost a lock to be a lottery pick That's true. before. You know, it's not like the That's typical true. number seven pick. People were pretty excited about Davis relative to you know where she was drafted. I think.
0: Yeah, well, stuff happens. Um, I know you wanted to talk about this briefly. Um, They could go international. As you said, they could stash. Uh, Sika Kone, uh, I believe that's how her her name is pronounced, from Mali. Uh, I'm pretty sure she's going to be, like, disclaimer, I am not anywhere near to being an international draft prospect expert, but I'm pretty sure she's going to be the first international prospect off the board in this year's class. Um, She just put up, she averaged a double-double in uh, the qualifiers for the World Cup uh, for Mali. Uh, including a 10 for 10 performance from the field against a very good French team. Granted, French well, was lacking both Ileana Rupert and Sandrine Gruda in the front court. But um, if you talk about a player who, you know, a, a young, she's 19 years old. Um, she's going to turn 20 in July, I believe. Um, she is a very good uh, draft and stash candidate, and I think she absolutely does have a WNBA uh, body and a WNBA motor. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if the Lynx stash uh, stash someone like Konei, But we'll see what happens. Um, it is definitely a situation in which it almost seems like they have too many assets. I don't know if you can ever have too many assets, but uh, the salary crunch is getting real here.
1: Let's move on to uh, just a couple teams left before we wrap up. We can go to the Indiana Fever um, and just a couple training camp signings. They they signed Elena Coates and Victoria Vivians uh, to training camp contracts, and then they were awarded Jasmine Jones off waivers. Uh, let, let's start with Jones. What do you think about Jones's? fit on this team and i guess you know the uh the positional battle with her and lindsey allen it seems like probably unlikely that both of those players would make the roster next year
0: that's an interesting question because i feel like both their games are vastly different at least in terms of overall impact um lindsey allen is about as steady as they come but maybe not a very high ceiling player she's she's a game manager you know and that's that's no uh that's not a diss on lindsey allen or anything like that but then when you look at jasmine jones total agent of chaos. You know, she can, she can do a lot of good things for you. She's a dynamic player. Um, but she can also, she's also prone to making, um, making some mistakes on the court on both ends. So I think, you know, when you look at Jones, the Liberty, I don't want to put too much into this, but the Liberty really likes her off court impact. You know, she's obviously a very energetic player and a high energy person. And when you look at Indiana, I mean, what is going on there? You need something to sell. You need something to sell, uh, to help create a culture, build a culture, and something to sell to fans. Um, and I think Jasmine Jones is a player who can get fans excited, you know, for better or for worse. So I, again, I don't know how much you want to put into that, but I think I would choose Jones. I'm not sure if you would agree or disagree on that. I mean, let us if we're being honest, neither player is, is moving the needle significantly for Indiana. But if you're talking about like a fourth or a fifth guard, I think I would rather have Jasmine Jones.
1: Yeah, that's a good point that you make in terms of the just kind of something to kind of excite a fan base that, understandably, should be pretty frustrated uh, with their their team.
0: You know, it's not part. just a fan base, Steven. You know, it, again, I don't think culture can be. I mean, I don't. Again, I don't want to put too much into it, but if we're looking at this off season, nobody wanted to go to Indiana, very understandably. It's just it's just a barren wasteland there. So you gotta step. You gotta walk before you can run. And if you're trying to establish a winning culture there, you got to have good culture players. I mean, you know, as for as much as we like to look at, you know, just the stats and everything on this podcast, I don't think you can just d- discount the, the off-court impact.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great point. And Jones is definitely an energy presence on the bench. You know, even when she's not in the game, you know, she, I feels like she hardly ever sits down, you know, she's always yeah, waving yeah. a towel and clapping and, um, you know, she, she's someone that feels like she's engaged even when she's not on the floor and and that's not the case with everyone uh especially when you're someone whose minutes can be up and down uh it's very easy to kind of check out when you are you know maybe not getting the the burn that you think you should get uh you want
0: to have you want to be jazz you want to be a teammate of jasmine jones and you want to have you want to have a player like that if you're on a lousy team because you know i mean negative vibes can spread very very easily if you're on a team that is consistently struggling like indiana
1: yeah, well put. Uh, in terms of Vivian's and Coates, you know, I think Vivian's is probably a pretty good bet to make this team. Um, yeah. Still kind of waiting for, for that three-point shot to come back around like we saw her rookie season. It's just uh, been a real struggle for, for her jump shot since, you know, injuring her knee and then unfortunately injuring it a second time.
0: Yeah, and that's something I'm afraid just may not go away for her. Uh, I, I really would like to see a healthy Victoria Vivian's I mean, I guess she was healthy last season, but it's hard to, you know.
1: Hey, you we, we remember team. the study, though, about, you know, knee injuries for WNBA players typically yes. taking two full seasons. So, um, you know, this is kind of that second year after the the most recent injury.
0: Okay, that's a good point. I totally forgot about that. So um, I don't want to say make or break year for Victoria Vivians, but this is the year where, that you will be looking at as, as kind of a bounce back season. And what is her on the wing? Like, What's her competition? You know, I mean, if you look at it Tiffany Mitchell as a small ball three, but nah, you know, I think Vivian's has the opportunity to seize a good amount of minutes on this roster.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Jasmine Jones is a, a little bit too small to kind of slide in at the three. Um, Mitchell, I think, is not an ideal small forward, but is probably still going to play there a pretty decent amount. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe they play Hartley at the three some with, you know, the rest, of, they have a, a lot of kind of guards uh, that are are not quite, you know, small forwards. You know, obviously Daniel Robinson is is a point guard. Kelsey Mitchell, you probably don't want guarding too many threes. Uh, Hartley, Tiffany Mitchell, uh, Vivian's, you know, Vivian's is probably the one true small forward. Jasmine Jones, uh, as we mentioned. So she's really, go ahead.
0: it, It seems like if I'm the Indiana Fever, I am praying to every single higher power in the universe that the Mystics take. Melissa Smith at number one. Because, like does this not seem like a perfect spot for Ryan Howard
1: oh I she mean, yeah she would yeah. get all the time <laughs> you know she she might lead the league in minutes next for, year 40
0: minutes wins. a game as well forward instantly yeah
1: um I don't think that's gonna happen but maybe I mean I feels like it doesn't make too much sense with myisha Heinz Allen signing a, a three- year pretend no. but no no, know, no perhaps no. crazier things have, have happened um do you think um what, what do you think about Coates' uh, I guess chances to make this roster I mean the the front court depth isn't what it was you know coming into last season.
0: Uh, I guess that depends on, well, what are they going to be doing at the four? Because there's still a problem there. I mean, they brought back Emma Cannon on greater than a training camp contract, so you assume she's going to make the team. But we saw a lot of Lavender-McCowan lineups last season. I'm pretty sure you were not a fan of those. Uh, But Coates is another straight five. I mean, you're not going to be playing her at the four alongside McCowan. So, gosh, I I don't know. I don't know. there's There's a lot going on there.
1: Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe just extra people to have in camp. I, I don't yeah. think Coates has, has a great shot to make this team. But let's move on to Phoenix here. Um, they signed Kia Nurse to her qualifying offer as a restricted free agent. So a one-year deal for Nurse. I don't know about you. I think I'd be pretty surprised if Kia Nurse was able to play this season. Her, she obviously suffered her very serious knee injury very late into the season, um, unfortunately, for, for everybody Uh, But then they also signed Liana Odom after Liana Odom cleared waivers um, to a training camp contract. And as Richard Cohen, the aforementioned Richard Cohen, pointed out that Phoenix saves about $12,000 by letting her clear waivers before signing her. And, you know, I'm not the biggest Liana Odom believer. Uh, I didn't really see too much progress in her game from year one to year two but this team you know desperately needs athleticism i think even with the addition of diamond to shields so uh, i like this one um someone that can kind of give them a little bit more defense at the wing and if she is getting some run you know should her certainly help their transition game which has been uh very poor for several seasons
0: yeah that's a good point um if you look at the salary, i mean just based on the salary alone you gotta think she's gonna make the team right
1: yeah, I would think so. Uh, I would. I would be pretty surprised if they brought her in. And I mean, they just desperately need you know competent WNBA players. It, it, it's either like Liana Odom or like a rookie, probably. So you right, know, Odom right. certainly would, and not even a rookie that would be drafted in the first round. You know, you're, we're talking about a, a a veteran minimums rookie. So you, you so got an,
0: like an established WNBA presence, and, and I agree. Their their athleticism. Um, I think that's one of the main reasons we, we liked the shields to Phoenix, if if there if there is one. Um and yeah, putting both her and Odom if if that's a feasible lineup combination out there on the four at the same time, that will give them a look that they've had that they haven't had in I don't even know how long. Not sure how much Le- uh, Nea uh Odum would play, but I mean you could play her at, at either the three or the four, I think, so it's a good fit for her, and a good piece of fe- and a good piece of business by Phoenix to uh let her clear waivers before signing her.
1: Okay, I was uh, mistaken. We actually have two more pieces of, of news here, and then we can wrap up. I don't really have too much to add about Connecticut signing Joiner Holmes to a training camp contract. I don't. She's
0: better than Stephanie Jones. She,
1: right? yeah, we can at least, you know, Joiner Holmes does some things that that you like. Uh, you know, I had said before, like, what if you are putting together the scouting report? You know, what are you saying about Stephanie Jones on it? Joiner Holmes at least has something to put on the scouting report. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It, it still feels like, you know, st- with the culture and stuff like that, maybe Stephanie Jones has an upper hand. But I would prefer Holmes at least as a little bit more of an upside play. And then who did uh, Washington bring in on training camp contracts, Eric? Oh,
0: well, they brought in Shatori Walker-Kimbrough for what seems like the fifth or sixth time. Um, they brought in Tiana Hawkins for what seems like the fifth or sixth time. Clara Lundquist and Kang Lee Sewell. I probably mispronounced that.
1: Uh, sorry if that's the case. Well, okay, but... our
0: apologies. We we, yes. we, we we try to get these things right, but sometimes we don't.
1: You know, Shatori Walker-Kimbrough, we'd said it, I think, in the free agency podcast, you know, preview that it seems like, you know, if she's going to be a productive player, this is going to be the environment. You know, she's bounced around a little bit since leaving Washington the first time and and has has made it back around. She's probably the one I like to make this roster out of any of these. Uh, Would you disagree with that? Anybody jump out to you more than Walker-Kimbrough?
0: I don't think so. Some people would say Hawkins because of her performance in Athletes Unlimited, but I'm not sure. How much stock I would put into that? You're right. If if, if there is an environment in which Walker Kimber is going to succeed, it's going to be this one. I mean, her role is going to be pretty simple, right? You just park her in the corner, park her in the wing, and if she catches the ball, shoot it. Maybe manufacture a few transition possessions here and there, but beyond that, you know, just a complimentary uh, play finisher. Hawkins, it seems like beyond that 2019 season when she was just shooting the heck out of the basketball, hasn't really materialized. You know, her potential hasn't really been been fulfilled. And while you know, I'm sure Mike Tibo would like to have another shooter in the front court. I don't know how, how would Hawkins fit in there with with Heinz Allen and Deladon and
1: yeah, as a, a fourth big, probably right behind those two big, players yeah. and behind Elizabeth Williams. But you're right. You know, it it seems like her her value as your, as a shooter is a lot more theoretical than uh, outside of that one season where she just. Although you know, miss. now that
0: you say that, Walker Cambro's value as a shooter has been pretty theoretical too, outside of one season. So,
1: yeah. All right, you want to uh, wrap up here?
0: Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Uh, once again, my, my apologies for the uh, mispronunciation. Um, but thank you all so much for listening uh, to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us on this very, very exciting free agency period. I don't know, Stephen, do you think we're going to have much news next week?
1: Feels like there's just one or two more shoes to drop and it could go between now and, and mid-March, so who knows?
0: Yeah, that's true, that's true. Okay, so thanks everyone for listening. Uh, on Twitter, you can find us at Double Down WNBA. Our personal accounts at Nemchak E or at Trinkwald. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast Manager, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast content. We are probably there. And uh, yeah, once again, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.